So, so I hope uh, you who were here last week enjoyed and grew from the time studying the vineyard value of reconciling community last week. Uh, by way of disclaimer, I just want to say I know that there's a, a lot more to the topic. It's, it's a very rich and deep topic, but uh, we're not going to go this round so deep on that one. But I do want to come back to it to just share with all of you, Martha and I, uh, yeah, I, I started last week talking about the end times. You know, these last days and how that God restoring the work of restoration was the type of indicators we should really be looking at. Not so much the wars and rumors of wars and all of the negative stuff, but what, what is God doing in a positive sense? What are his purposes that are being played out? And, you know, there are these times when you lay hold of a truth of God and the application of it all of a sudden has an impact that it didn't have or doesn't have at other times. Last week was one of those times. And uh, I really think that the vineyard values that we're going through right now overall is going to be one of those times where if we really get a hold of what the vineyard got a hold of as integrating this into our DNA, the very makeup of who we are as a movement, uh, we will lay hold of some very powerful and deep truths from the Lord. Um, so we're going we're gonna to share, Martha and I are going to share, and we're going to ask you to join us in prayer, uh, something that transpired last week and what happened from what happened during the service last week. Martha, you want to start this? Uh, the word that was preached was reconciliation, and but two thirds of the way through, when Pastor Dick began to say, "We're gonna, we're gonna put this on you like peanut butter on toast, and you're gonna eat it," <laughs> right? And we got to be reconciled to one another, and I was going, "Oh no, oh no, that means I have to get reconciled with someone that I had some ought with." Okay, he was sitting right in front of Paulette last week, big tall black boy who we'd had some interactions, and, and I had had some, that no, wasn't horrible, but whatever. And so I said, well, i got to be reconciled to, to this young man. Monge Joseph was his name. Okay. I just barely met him. He's pretty new to our community, been in and out. We've seen him around. So I went and I sat with he and Crystal, and I held their hands. And in tears, I was able to repent for my bad attitude. Because, you know, people pick up your bad attitude. They do. And in tears, they prayed with me, and I prayed for them to forgive others who may have hurt them. And, and a, you know, just, it was a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment. And I was so glad that I did that, you know, even though it was hard. He didn't, he may not have known that I was the one that had the bad attitude, but you knew something was going on. And um, I want to tell you what happened. The next day, I get a call from Crystal. He's on, in the hospital, unresponsive, not breathing. And four days later, they pronounced him dead, gone. But I want to tell you, because I, I was faithful to get things right, not, not a big deal thing, by the way, but it was still in my heart, I knew I have to make this right. And out of that, God began to work in them and in him to begin to draw himself. You know that scripture I, I read to you? He came here. He had come here to come to Jesus. He had come here to come and be before the Lord, to be in his presence. And Crystal said he really felt the presence of the Holy Spirit here, a, a new guy, a new man in our midst. I just want to tell you, you have no idea the power of your words, of your intentions, to get things right. Right, Crystal? This is Crystal. For those of you who don't know Crystal, this is Crystal right here. She's suffering. This was her boyfriend. Her heart is broken. And we don't know what's going to happen from here, but I know that God is faithful, and he will never, no, never, not ever, reject one who comes to him. 
We have to believe that. We put our faith in the fact that the word of God is true and Jesus is true. And I encourage you, you got something going on. I don't care how small it is, how big it is. Get it right. Bow down low and go and apologize. Please forgive me. Let's get it right. We can love each other the way Jesus said to love one another. And I apologize to you all. For if I have a bad attitude around you, please, please forgive me. I'm, I'm likely to from time to time. Any of you ever have a bad attitude? Or, yeah. Get it right. Get it right and be right with God. I forgive you, Martha. So two things that struck me um, out of this. Number one is the thought I had, how horrific would it have been if Maj had died and Martha had not reconciled to him? The feeling of guilt and regret to walk through the rest of her life knowing Maj had passed on and she had ought against him. She had missed the opportunity. She's free of that. The other is a scripture that's kind of hard to fit into the reality sometimes, but it seems to fit here. It's Isaiah 57.1. The righteous man perishes. Righteous man perishes. When are, when are we made righteous? Romans says there's none righteous, no, not one. And yet, through the work of reconciliation, Christ reconciling us to the Father at a moment in time makes us righteous. Right? Maj had that moment, I think, last week. I saw him as I was preaching, clapping his hands, clapping his hands. Something was going on. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace, Crystal. He entered into peace. What a merciful God we have, that in a moment of time, Maj looked just like Jesus and Dad said, come on home, son. Come on home. He's a good God. He's a good God. So Jesus tells us to mourn with those who mourn and to grieve with those who grieve. The circumstances, the situations are not added to the dialogue. Just the condition, grief and mourning. Crystal is grieving and in mourning. And she needs the body. So, Krista, would you come up here? And I'm just going to ask any of you who are moved with compassion to just come up and gather around her and just begin to pray right over here so they get a lot of room. And let's just take a few minutes and invest your hearts, invest your words into Crystal's life as she's going through this process of mourning and grief Invite the Holy Spirit to come and use you as a vessel for mercy and kindness. Okay.
Father, we thank you for the love of the saints. We ask you, O oh God, to fill our love with your comfort, your kindness, your goodness and mercy, and that you would pour us out upon Crystal, upon her little, her little girl, upon family members who are trying to make their way to the States. Would you orchestrate this, O oh God, as you already have, to its conclusion? Bless your people, O oh God, as we bless one another. We acknowledge your presence in the midst of us as we're gathered in your name to minister your comfort. We ask you to touch Crystal's deepest heart, O oh God. Heal her brokenness in this moment. Renew her vision for the future, O oh God. Give her peace. Give her peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as this plays out, if there's an opportunity for a memorial service, uh, we'll keep you informed on that. Hmm? Yeah. Anyways, let's, uh, let's take a look at another one of the Vineyard Values. Today we're going to be looking at uh, experiencing God, the value of experiencing God. And just to give you a hint of the depth of this value, we'll also add some subtitles to it, like uh, worshiping God and intimacy with God, because you experience God in a whole bunch of different platforms. Okay. So taking the first broad brush stroke on the canvas, let's hear what the Vineyard Movement says about the Vineyard value of experiencing God. Could you run that clip on Phil Stroke, please? Yeah, they have nothing to say about it at all. So, <laughs> the broad brush, broad brush stroke of, on the topic. I want to look at some instances of biblical individuals who have experienced God in profound ways, and what their personal response to the encounter might reveal to us. Uh, the first individual is interestingly enough the first individual. I mean, if you're going to start at the beginning, you might as well start at the beginning, right? Adam. Adam experienced God like no other, right? Really unique relationship. Uh, he and his wife Eve are the original masterpiece of God's portrait picture of his own best desire for a relationship with humanity. The pinnacle of his creative outburst at the start of, his all, of it all Made in his image. Made in his image. We are. So listen to Paul's prayer for the church. This is from uh, Martha's favorite, the Amplified Version. Uh, Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, and you've never heard it this long. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints that is, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Wow. Anybody interested? Hmm? Anybody want that? Huh? I'm serious. You want that? Yeah. Stand up. 
So, you know, if you've known me any time, you know I'm big on posture. Okay, and, and standing up like this. Or, or like this one. Come on. Hands in your pockets. You know, you want to give me some of my arms are wide open. You know, give me all you got. This is, that's what this says to the Father. Give me all you got, right? So I'm going to bless you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just speak release. I speak release of the Holy Spirit, of the fullness of God's blessing over your lives right now. Receive, receive an apprehension of the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in you, around you, and through you. May you be filled beyond your comprehension with more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Receive more of Jesus. Overflow more of Jesus. In his mighty name I pray, amen and amen. Now, here's the thing. You got to let that germinate. You know, you put a seed in the ground. You ain't going to get a tater in a minute, right? You got to let the seed germinate. You got to let things happen. You got to be watering and, and taking care of that ground. So you just take faith and believe that when Pastor prayed this morning, I got some supernatural goods. God put a seed in me. I'm going to cultivate that. I'm going to get into the word and find out what it means to live by faith. I'm going to pray and ask the Father to make that reality. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. Every morning I'm going to wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Right? Come and join me in the day. Right? That's cultivating the seed and see what kind of crop you get. Right? Or you can walk out of here and do nothing. and You'll end up with just what you had before you had nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God prepared a place for man. That's part of God's experiential caring. He created man, and then he prepared a place for him. That sound familiar? That sounds something like Jesus might say in John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I may go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am. You see, that was the purpose of the garden. It wasn't just so that they'd have a nice place to hang out. He prepared it because that's where he was going to be. He prepared it so they could join him where he was. Jesus says the same thing. Listen, I'm preparing a place in the kingdom for you so that you can be where I am. Not only does he want us to experience him, he wants to experience us. Isn't that good? Right? You husbands, you wives, you know what it's like sometimes when you don't feel like the, the other mate wants to experience you so well right now, right? <laughs> right? Don't you feel kind of torn apart, less than you were when you were both experiencing each other well? Right? It's important that it's a two-way street. It's the same thing with the father. He wants to experience you. And he experiences you through your relationship with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you can speak directly to the Spirit of the Father in heaven who can utter things so deep within you that you don't even know they're in there. He can express to the Father, and the Father can then pour out grace to meet that need in you. What an awesome God we serve. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God cared for and prepared, provided for man's well-being and 
This is the distinctive activity, the thing most precious that was lost to humanity when Adam and Eve fell to the temptation and sin was the direct access and experiential concern of the Father being received by us. A divide happened, a division. Genesis 3.8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This, this, is, this is primo. Can you imagine coming home from work? You know, you stop in the house and you dress down, put on your shorts and your T-shirt and your flip-flops, right? And you go out to the backyard garden and you got a cool drink in your hand and another one over here and you place it on the table and oh, here he comes. Yeah, here he comes. Dad, over here, over here. And God himself comes and sits at table with you. That's what Adam had. He heard God walking in the cool. Where was God going? He wasn't going anywhere. He was coming. He was coming to Adam. It's the same thing with Jesus. He's coming to you. Every time you gather together, he says, there I am in the midst. He comes and joins us so that someday we can go and join him for eternity. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But even then, already knowing their fallen condition, God did what God does. He sought them out. What was it you read about? It's nothing that can separate us. Did you talk about that? No, not nothing. No, not. Never leave you, never forsake you. No, not ever. Right? So... That means there's no perimeters. Even when you sin, even when you miss the mark, even when you stumble and fall, he's still walking in the garden where he comes to you calling out, Adam, where are you? Polo. God did what God does. He sought them out. He seeks us out. Even when we're at our worst, he doesn't quit. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you today? Where are you today in your experiential relationship with the living God? Can you say honestly to yourself that when you pray, when you worship, you have an encounter with God in real time, something tangible, something substantive, that you know that you've been in his presence. Something has impacted you. Something has changed, just like last week. I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit. That changes everything. Understand that since the loss of Eden and the breaking of fellowship and intimate relationship with God in the garden, man has been in an ongoing quest to once again experience God. And that process over time and through the ongoing influence of the great deceiver has morphed into every form of religious activity you can imagine. And for the most part, none of them has been good. And for certain, none of them was able to restore man's condition from fallen to beloved. Nonetheless, we, through biblical knowledge, see that God has continually pursued the redemption of man from sin and the restoration of the relationship that was lost, a relationship that Father God desires more than we ever could. Do you know that God is after you more than you're after him? Hmm. 
following are several Old Testament characters who experienced God. See if you can spot the common denominator in each of these incidences. The first is in Genesis 8.15. It says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply in the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Genesis 12:7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to and said, "To your offspring I will give this land." So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Genesis 13:14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, "Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward." For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Genesis 26:24 The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, "I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you. I am with you." This is way back Old Testament Genesis, right? "I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake." So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. Genesis 28.10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you. What? I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. What's his response? Surely the Lord is in this place. This is experiential, right? And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. So what's the point? What is it that we are seeing in these scripture readings? What's the common denominator? This is the common denominator. It's just simple. Each one of these individuals had the same response to their personal experience with God. They all left a marker on the spot where they experienced God. Built an altar, built an altar, built an altar, raised a pillar. Right? Every one of them left a marker on the spot where they experienced God. Why? 
me give you a single example that also explains the why. In Joshua 4, it says, After 40 years wandering in the wilderness, a whole generation of 4 million Jews has passed away. A new generation has emerged and they're about to cross into the promised land. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge, lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? Why is there a marker here? Why is there an altar here? Why is there a pillar here? What does it mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Okay? Markers are the Old Testament shadow of our New Testament testimonies. I'll say that again. Markers are the Old Testament shadow of our New Testament testimonies. They tell the story of God's people's encounters with the living God. Experience God here. I experience God here. Why is there an altar? Because I experience God here. If God wasn't here, I wouldn't offer a sacrifice. If God didn't show up here, I wouldn't have poured oil, a highly valued commodity, over a stone. If God wasn't here, I wouldn't have guys lugging boulders out of a river to put them on the shore to mark the spot. They are testimonies that God was here and we met him and he met us and everything changed. They convey the stories of active faith in a faithful God. And they were powerful reminders to future generations that God is present and can be experienced in real time. Because experience takes us deeper than knowledge. And so beyond our theology, knowing about God, we must add experience, being known by God. Although markers in and of themselves have no power other than to be inanimate reminders of a past event that would cause one to give praise and worship to God for his wonderful deeds, nonetheless, because of man's religious propensities, these markers or locations will often, over time, become objects of worship themselves, a form of idolatry. Two examples. The first example concerns an object. 2 Kings 18.1. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. These were all forms of pagan worship that Israelites had established throughout the land. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. 
not to his power, not to his might, not to his distinctive place as being king, not to his religious function. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. So Nehushtan is from a story when the Jews were wandering in the wilderness during that 40 years, and uh, they sinned against the Lord. The young men had uh, kind of been messing around with some of the Bedouin women that were trailing along the trail, and some intermarriage took place, and God was pretty upset. And so he sent these snakes into the camp. And I think like 30,000 died, right? Those were nasty little snakes. So they began to cry out to Moses, and Moses had a snake made out of bronze, a picture of their sin, right? And you know what he did? He lifted it up on a cross. He lifted up a picture of their sin on the cross, and he said, anyone who looks on this will be saved. And they were. And the plague stopped, and the snakes stopped, and people lived. It was a picture of Christ becoming sin for us and going to the cross. And when we turn our attention to him, we are saved from death and sin, right? Wonderful picture. Awesome. God's move for a moment. They took that bronze snake and they made it a god all in and of itself and began to worship it. That's the danger of mockers. So our second example concerns a response to experiencing God, uh, the compulsion to do something in response to God's presence that will somehow validate your part in the experience. This is tricky. This is really tricky. Thus making our works as idolatrous as any object. So here's the story in Matthew 17. It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. In other words, he turned himself into what he looks like when he's in heaven with the Father glorified. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elisha. Right? Got to love Peter, right? Let me be part of this. Let me do something that will make this permanent. Let me, let me take over. Right? I've seen you. I've seen it. I, oh, this is cool. What can I do? He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Isn't that awesome? Here Jesus is, shining like the sun. Peter begins to talk, and a bright cloud overshadows. Now, so Jesus is as bright as the sun, but the Father is so bright that his brightness overshadows Jesus' brightness. Yo. You want to encounter this God? This is the one we're talking about, right? A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I want you to say this with me. I see no one but Jesus only. Dang. Jesus only becomes highly significant for us within the framework of this thought that Old Testament markers are shadows of New Testament testimonies. 
once you understand what a New Testament testimony really is. So let's go to probably the number one verse concerning the power of New Testament testimony or your markers. Revelation 12.10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Right? What was God doing in the garden? He was coming to humanity. Okay? Do you get this picture? It streams right through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is coming to us. He's coming again. For what? To us. To us. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. They have conquered him. Who? They've conquered the accuser. Who's conquered the accuser? Who's thrown down the accuser? The saints, right? If we have conquered him, we're the ones who have thrown him down. How did we do that? Because Jesus came to us. Right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore. Right? Preach the good news. Heal the sick. Cast out the devils. Cast down your enemies. For I am with you even until the end of the age. This is no new news to us. It should be our lifestyle. This is our model. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by, say it, word of their testimony, right? What are your markers? What are they? What are you showing your, your children, your grandchildren? What are the markers that you're revealing to them? Daddy, why do you go to church every week? Why are you going to that meeting? What are your markers? When generations shall come, you'll show them these stones. You'll speak your testimony. You'll give them the why and the wherefore of why you have a relationship with the living God. I was in the midst of this and I encountered him and everything changed. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was this, and now I'm not. Do you remember the cardboard testimonies? Hmm? Markers. Markers. Drug addict. Man of God. Right? Right? Come on. Who's got that marker on their life? Yeah, right, isn't that good? Got that marker on their life. That's good stuff, right? By the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. The word of their testimony. Do you think this isn't simply referencing the things they had to say just before they died, these martyrs? I always did. That's what I thought was being referred to here. But check it out. The word, word, the word of their testimony, that word, word, right, used here in English is logos in the Greek. They overcame by the logos of their testimony. John 1.1 says this, in the beginning was the word, logos, and the word, logos, was with God, and the word, logos, was God. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the logos of their testimony. It had nothing to do with speech. So the New Testament marker is Jesus only. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word logos, the God of their testimony. It never was about what they could do. It was always about what God does in and through and for us that gives us the victory that transforms us into overcomers even in death. 
And so it was not that they spoke their own words as they died. It was that they became the words being spoken by God to a lost world by giving of their lives. They loved not their lives unto death, and those words are loud enough to silence the devil. Markers, real testimonies, are not about what we have to say or what we have done. It is always about the fact that in whatever the situation was or is, God is present. Moses asked the question, Lord, I go back to your people and I say to them, God has sent me to you to deliver you from hard bondage. And they say to me, really? Well, what's his name? You shall tell him. I am. <laughs> Present. I am. The eternal state of being present. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Let's pray. We're going to pick this up again next week. I want to make sure you get out of here in a timely fashion. A lot of people have a good, busy day ahead of them. But let's pray first. Would you stand with me? Ooh, Father God, how wondrous are your ways, how magnificent are you in all your splendor and glory. We thank you for your presence here today. That which you have done just by being in the midst of us. The confidence that we can have. That you are here. You are present. You are the great I am. Always. Yesterday. Today. Forever. You are our I am. So we ask you Holy Spirit. Would you paint that picture? Would you erect a marker, an altar, a pillar, a testimony deep within our hearts today of the presence of Jesus Christ in all of our time, in all of our circumstance, in all of our situations, no matter how bad it looks, we can turn to you. You are faithful who has begun this work in us, and you will be faithful to see it accomplished. So I bless your people today, O oh God. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to see, their minds to understand, and their hearts to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of what it means to experience you in your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless your people with yourself. One of the greatest relational tools that we have as humans is the ability to communicate. Communication happens through words, it happens through actions, through touch. Sometimes it happens just by presence. I feel like today the Holy Spirit would like us to communicate 
to one another, to each other in this room. A deposit of the love of Jesus Christ that is in you. I'm just going to ask you to turn to a neighbor, take their hands in your hands, and just pray a blessing to one another. You don't have to ask for information or if they have a need. Just with the blessings that Christ has blessed me with, I now bless and communicate to you. The goodness he's given to me, I give to you. And then give it back in return. All right, let's spend the last couple of minutes in blessing one another, and then you're dismissed to go.